to make up for how long the recent ones have been. It's not actually to make up for that. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be a relatively snappy one today, is what okay, I have cool. planned. <laughs> This is Bread and Barricades, a Linux podcast. I am Nima Martin, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And last night, the fire alarm went off 15 times in a row at 2 a.m. And it was the most hellish nightmare world I could live in. It was very much a reminder of like being in university and like someone did weed in their room, like hotboxed. And then it was like three o'clock in the morning and it was like raining and you had to stand in the garden. It was minus three degrees and I was the one to stand by the fire alarm and turn it off every single time. So hell, hell. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's snowy right now. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was staring. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. Um, I'm hoping that the mic isn't going to pick up the foxes that have a lot to say outside my window right now. It's fox fuck. It's fox fucking time. It's it sure never is. not fox fucking time where I live. <laughs> and also, they started making this new noise out the front, so the fucking is in the back of the house, outside <laughs> garden. But in the front, there's this new sound that sometimes we're like, "Is that a child?" Is that a dog? Is that someone being, I don't know, really hurt? It's not, it doesn't sound like, you know, these foxes live in my garden all year round. We feel like we know what they sound like, but there's this new sound. Um, I think it must be a fox. It's not a child. We have gone and looked. The street over where I used to live when I was a child in Croydon, someone used to get stabbed there. Mm, every other week it was like pretty stabby um and i could never tell the difference between someone being stabbed and a fox fucking so (laughs) even you can't with your vast knowledge um i grew up in leicester as where i'm from originally midlands and um i was living off like the main road for quite like a lot of that and it was just constant sirens that when I moved to Surrey and it was so quiet, that was like made my sleeping problems worse because it was so <laughs> quiet. It really creeps me out when it's silent. That it was like, where are the the comforting sounds of just sirens all day and all night? Genuinely, there used to be like helicopters over my house all the time. And then when I moved <laughs> up to North London, now there's like maybe one helicopter every couple of months and when I hear it I'm like oh finally I can be lulled to sleep (laughs) (laughs) I need that white noise (laughs) um anyway you've been listening to (laughs) she pronouns um uh valentine's day is coming up imminently because as we know by now I love making it clear (laughs) that we do not record the week before you hear the podcast, um, which means I went from January, no work, just a slug, to it feels like the busiest, I, I feel like I say this often on the podcast, actually, like, this is the busiest latex period, but it feels like it's always true. Um, and at some point during the episode, I'm going to have to run off, throw a box of completed latex into my boss's car. She'll throw some more latex at me, and then the cycle continues. How's the theme going? Like, is um, is it basically returned to normal Valentine's Day, or has there been a resurgence? I ask this every time. Is has there been a resurgence <laughs> of doctors' nurses' uniforms? No, there's not really been any medical staff. Um, mm. there's been a lot of stockings, and I hate them. So. We've got a little reminder written. I like to think of my version of the book as one day going to someone. Like, that's why I was originally writing a pencil. Because you're like, oh, what if we, like, donate it? I don't know. You know when you'd, like, have to go write an essay at uni and you'd go into the library and just hope someone had already highlighted everything relevant? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And Uh, have written their little annotations to be, like, uh, the... This God thing. or something. Yeah. You, like. <laughs> My annotations are not particularly helpful. I can see just a load of laughing faces on this current page. Um, but I've started writing in pen. And at the top of the page are two reminders for me and Nemo for the top of the episode. 
the first one is that we had a... I feel like we mentioned at the end of the last episode, we had a really nice email. Oh, yeah. But that uh, we were asked, like, oh, when you're listening through Spotify, you it just kind of, like, goes into it. Where are the first nine <laughs> episodes of the podcast? Yes, yes. And that is because Spotify... So. At first, we recorded them in non-MP3, and Spotify doesn't let you upload things unless they are MP3s, which is really annoying because MP3s is lower quality. But hey-ho. So the first nine episodes are only on Podbean slash not Spotify. They're everywhere else. They're just not on Spotify. So if you do, if you made it this far and you're like, wow, I never listened to the first nine episodes, you should go back and listen, especially to our specials. You can skip the quality of the, <laughs> the normal episodes, really. Um, that might have been but... where all of our continued Bishop Muriel uh, <gasps> as no, a you're mob right. boss. And I'm like, we talk about yeah. it like everyone, is, <laughs> what, like one must assume you're all here for that. But if you can't get to them, then it must just be like, wow, was that a really good bit? I don't know if it was a good bit. Maybe it's worth finding. I thought it, I still find it funny. So yeah, you should, okay, yes, you should go and listen to all of our episodes. They are everywhere apart from Spotify, which is annoying. <laughs> but um, if we uh, replace the audio files and we lose all of our download numbers, and that would be sad. <laughs> that would definitely so. need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially because those nine episodes have some of the highest numbers that we have, unfortunately. So, <laughs> um, um. And then I might keep the second thing on the agenda for the end of the episode, depending how long we take to do these chapters. Okay, cool. And I just won't remember what it is. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, even when I was like, I read it and at first the series of words that I wrote down, I didn't write the whole like Nemo said to um, remember to do this and to tell this story. I was just like, here's two words and that will remind me. I was like, what does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I'll have forgotten by the time we get there as well. Uh, So this week, the bad news is that we're only doing two chapters. Okay. I always check how many pages it's going to be that I need to read it each reading session. And I've, we've just been like flying through those last ones. We we did in those last two episodes, 40 goddamn pages. Holy shit. Smashed it. Then I was like, oh, these, these are only going to be 12. Mm. And that feels so baby. <laughs> and I love the momentum, but it would have been way too many for me to have. Like there's some really chunky chapters coming up. And the third one, I think like deserves more time that, then we'd be able to give it, I think. So, what the good news is, the plot Uh has caught back up with Victor Hugo. (laughs) We're on... You know what, actually? Like, the the essay rant that we did last episode really actually helped me when I was writing my PhD this week. So, Providence was Providence. (laughs) (laughs) Our favourite word. Yeah, I'm glad that we spent the time on it and that it like came up at the right time as God intended. Because as we all know, Victor Hugo has converted me to Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually what he's going for with this book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So is the book itself Bishop Muriel's Saving Nemo's Soul? Oh my god, he's born myself a god! (laughs) Actually, I feel like I don't believe in the Christian God. I believe in the Victor Hugo God, Providence. Mm. Providence with a capital P is my deity. And then the sun is anime Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah. And the Holy Spirit is Victor Hugo? That's what he'd want. Yeah, I think that is what he wants from this relationship. (laughs) Uh, Well, now that you've come to God for your life, you get to... Be saved in death, because this is mm-hmm. okay. Cemeteries take what they are given, and they're being given you, Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, we have in which there is a discussion about how to get into the convent, and I was like, "You already wrote that. <laughs> you cannot do that to me again." <laughs> but it isn't what I thought, so it's okay. Uncancelled this chapter. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, she froze the rock aside meme. <laughs> I like with Hugo these days, I don't do the other stages of grief. I'm straight into anger. <laughs> um, so this chapter's like, as we remember, Jean Valjean hopped over that fence and he found Froche Levant. Um, what I did, I, I did write a little like, ha because I loved this the spooky scene where Jean Valjean's like wandering around this garden and there's a chapel and there's some kind of spook in a cross shape on the floor and we're like, what's that? And we're like, oh, he, he never says. And like, there's so much in this book that you, Nemo can't be blamed for not remembering everything. <laughs> but because it's fresh in my mind, I was like, I'm going to blame them for this one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's literally like so he scaled the garden blah 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 the singing head was the nuns oh my god the thing he had was the chapel that phantom he had seen lying on the ground was the nun making reparation god okay <laughs> i'm <then>. really sorry <laughs> but it also means we've got to apologize to victor hugo <laughs> Which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He did. No, but then he, because I feel like last episode, when when you when we did see that it was like you know uh, a a a, church, a convent and like the woman was like uh, giving reparations, you praised him for doing it subtly. But then oh, I feel true. like you can have the anger back now by being <laughs> like, and then he repeated it a next chapter. <laughs> Well, which kind of actually adds to this whole thing of like what needs to be there, Victor Hugo. And I feel like at some point last episode, we were like, are you going to show not tell maybe instead of like tell and tell? And then tell again. <laughs> yeah, like he's successfully, subtly shown. Mm. And now that he's told, I'm like, did you go back and add that essay later? Because you mm. actually did have the like, ooh, this thing. Okay, it was this. It's okay. <laughs> Were you like we weren't gonna get it, or do you think that we didn't get it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, oh, what's this thing? Oh, it gets subtly answered by the reader when you read further into the history. That's really cool. Or you fucking dumbass piece of shit. It was this, <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, we got, we got it, Hugo. I'm <laughs> more on that a bit. Come to some kind of decision on him. Um. But he's like, anyway, Cosette's been put to bed. And um, my heart was ju- my heart's just ready to be warmed by any Jean Valjean and Fauche Levant scene. So I'm like predisposed <laughs> to be like, oh. And they share a little glass of wine and some cheese for their supper in front of a blazing wood fire. And the only bed... A what? <laughs> sorry? No, sorry. Huddle together for warmth. But mm. then he said something even better. <laughs> Well, these are only building off each other because there was only one bed and Cosette's in it. Where are they going to sleep? They just have some little hay barrels, some straw barrels, sorry. Mm. But, so if they're not in a bed, we must assume it would be cold if they were not huddled together mm-hmm. in front of their fire. Mm-hmm. And they're like having a little whispered conversation so that she doesn't wake up. So they must be like on their sides, gazing at each other. And, and quote, to tell the truth, neither of them slept. Yeah, this little gay sleepover. It's that, you know, like when you first meet someone and then you have that like zing and then you're like staying up all night and then you don't realize and then the sun comes up and you're like, oh my God, I really enjoyed talking to you. And it's like, oh yeah, me too. And then they're like watching the fire die and they're like, well, anyway. <laughs> Now we need to get things ready for our shared daughter. <laughs> and Jean Valjean's like, I have to stay here. Right, you have to. And it's, you know, he's like, oh God, Javert's on my trail. We're doomed if we leave this place. And the latest gust of wind had buffeted him by happenstance and blown him into this cloister that were like, ah, fate and providence. Is that wind? Because, mm. you know, it's like a place where no men are, m- are meant to enter the cloister. So that 
is like a good place to hide because no one would think he'd be here. But if he does get caught, he will go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) To live in a place where you could not possibly be, that was salvation. Um, And meanwhile, his best boy, Fosha Vance, like, okay, I have to figure out how to make this happen for Jean Valjean. Like, Mm. I will... I will come up with a plan. Um, oh, I love this. He began by owning that he was completely baffled. <laughs> yes, own it. I love that energy. Yeah. Yes, give it to me. <laughs> More of us should uh, own that for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like, I don't know how you got in here. There should not be a way to be able to get in here. Like, there is no stepping over cloister walls. How did he get here with a child? You did not scale a perpendicular wall with a child in your arms and we're like, oh, let me tell you. Um, Who was this child? Where did they come from? And then he's like, you know what? You don't question a saint. (laughs) Um, And because he's not been getting any outside wild news about Moshe Madeline, which is how he knows Jean Valjean, he's still Mm. like, he's perfect. He's probably just bankrupted or, like, being pursued by creditors or, like, there's a political affair and he's in hiding. And as an old Bonapartist at heart, he was not at all unhappy with this. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of in um, the, like, you don't ask questions of saints thing. Reminds Mm. me of um, the Bishop Muriel's, like, I don't ask your name. I don't need to know your history to do you good kind of thing mm. which is interesting that like but for a completely different reason like uh for Chalavon isn't doing this like specifically to be good for humankind he's just like doing it he knows to do it but mm, I don't know what I'm trying to say like it's inter- it's an interesting parallel that the two people who have helped Jean Valjean like create a new life haven't asked for his past mm. in order for him to like move forward kind of thing yeah yeah it's nice they're just like it doesn't matter you deserve a chance now and you deserve my help yeah like you did you i guess the bishop didn't know him but for sure is like i it doesn't really matter who you are to the rest of the world to me and our relationship you are this so i will help you out me uh, <laughs> yeah he's like Moshe Madeline saved my life and this soul certainty was sufficient and decided his course and he said to himself it's my turn now mm. and then so like that's very sweet but then I was immediately like that um he's like Monsieur Madeline didn't spend so much time deliberating when it was a matter of getting under the car <laughs> so that I can pull out from under it. I'm like that's categorically untrue <laughs> Oh, he's remembering it like this romantic rose tinted scene of like he just knew and he helped me straight away and we're like he had a like whole little dramatic moment with his (laughs) his other boyfriend meanwhile you were being crushed and being like help me (laughs) 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 so I don't know if that's like it's like it's in quotes, so it's like what he is thinking. That I'm like, okay, so that's his memory of it. But I was like, mm. maybe Hugo, did you forget? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Hugo like doesn't didn't think that uh, Valjean actually took that long. He like thought that it was relatively fast. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Which is wrong, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, things to make you laugh. (laughs) Uh, While a man's life is being crushed. Um, But then he gets back to being sweet. um, And he's like, was it sweet? He's like, if he were a thief, would I save him? Just the same. If he were an assassin, would I save him? Just the same. Seeing as he is a saint, shall I save him? Just the same. So yeah, I guess like what you were saying, like no matter what, for him, he's like, this is how I know you and what I see of you and I don't need to know more than that. Mm. Yeah. And then then Victor Hugo, I don't know, like I find a lot of this chapter quite amusing for various reasons. He's like, (laughs) so Fauchelevant has this old rustic cunning um. <laughs> oh no, we're back at it again with the classism. 
<laughs> well, like, I think it's me- he's got a lot to say coming up about Fauchelevent, and I think it's all <laughs> meant to be like, this is quite good. Um, but, you know, when it's like these backhanded compliments. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like, Père Fauchelevent, oh, we're both known as dads, isn't that interesting? Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, he's an old man who had been selfish all his life and who now, at the end of his days, uh, found pleasure in being grateful. And, you know, he's been like hanging out at this convent for so long that it's that like he feels like he should do some good. He's destroyed his self-centeredness and ended up making some sort of good deed necessary to him, all of this conventaire. So he formed this re- this resolution to devote himself to Monsieur Madeleine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So they get married immediately. <laughs> I drew the smallest little face. <laughs> um, but then, like, it's like... Those little moments of like, ah, and then it's Victor Hugo back in it, like. So he was a peasant, but he had been a copy clerk, which added corsetry, corset, casuistry. Ah, mm. oh, when I first read that word and I didn't sound it out to myself, I thought it meant like cautiousness, but probably not. A process of reasoning that seeks to resolve moral problems by ex- extracting or extending theoretical rule. This is not helping me. <laughs> uh, the study of the relation of general ethical principles to particular cases of conduct or conscience. Jeez. A dishonest or over-subtle application of such principles. Okay. Oh, I think that makes more sense because, like, the dishonest or over-subtle application kind of makes sense with some of the stuff he does later with a nun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. All this to look forward to. Okay. Yeah. Well, he added that to his cunning, an insight to his naivety. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what it means is he was, like, a poor person, so shouldn't be clever, but was kind of clever because he did, like, some reading. So kind of like the Tenadiers who are able to read, they are cunning because they're able, they have, like, that slight bit of intelligence, but they're not intelligent intelligent enough to be good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's less less of an evil thing for um, for Chalavon. It's more like... Uh, it's more of a cunning for his own sake because he's lived his whole his whole life with like selfishness rather than it being like an evil full stop kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I'm good. Um, I love that as well. He's like because he's learnt those things and the insight as well. Mm. That added to the baseline. What feels like Victor Hugo is implying is the like prerequisites of being a peasant which is to be cunning and naive (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) also he had some natural wit and you're like wow (laughs) that's so rare in those peasants (laughs) (laughs) he talks almost like a gentleman that wears a hat yeah um and he's like into like a half burger half peasant so like demi bourgeoisie demi manant which is like a description from La Fontaine. Ugh, there's a gardener character in his fable, Le Jardinier et son séjeuner. So Victor Hugo likes to reference things. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's like half well-spoken and fancy, half not. So like he won't speak super casually. Um, he didn't say eyes or ayas. Um <laughs> All these things, I'm like, okay, I'm sure that means something more in French. Um, mm. He was still a man of impulse and very spontaneous, a precious quality that prevents a person from ever being wicked, <laughs> which I had never had. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in like uh, in London terms, this is a middle class writer writing a Cockney character who's <laughs> like, oh, you know, he's actually clever for a Cockney, and it being like, yeah, all right, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here it is. Um, you'll love this. He had the type of physiognomy that <laughs> finds favour with the observer. The aged face had none of those disagreeable vertical lines on his forehead that denote malice or stupidity. (sighs) (laughs) This is how I get my energy. Like, it feeds into me and then I get angry and then I'm able to write on my PhD again. (laughs) 
You're actually recharging your batteries once a week. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the first time Hugo's brought up physiognomy. But I guess it's no. fresh in the mind from BBC Limers that you're like, what? You, you wanted to sprinkle that Victor Hugo flavor, but like, not like this. Yeah, not like this, please. <laughs> um, but he's in luck and he's got great physiognomy. So he's been like thinking all night and he's like, so Jean Valjean, uh, sorry, Monsieur Madeleine. Now you're here, how are you going to contrive to get in? Mm. He has, like, a lot of lines where you're like, what? <laughs> um, the two fellows put their heads together. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's like, because basically, yeah, his question is like, you're in, but not officially. Mm. So, like, how are you officially going to enter this place that you shouldn't have been able to already have entered without being sus? <laughs> and without like openly saying that you are Jesus Christ incarnate. Yeah. Which is like what Fauchelevant is willing to um take as his explanation. He doesn't press yeah. he won't press you on this. Um but he's like, you know, you shouldn't be here, neither should the child. One step out into the garden and we're done for. I was like, <laughs> It's already we Babes <laughs> Yeah, but he's like, you know, I'll believe that you fell in here and it was like God picked you up and he just wanted to have a little look at you and then he put you back down in here and that's all I need. But like they're probably the the sisters, they're probably gonna need a bit more than that. Mm. <laughs> he's like, you know, they're th- these women that's like saintly here. But you know, actually we're all saints here. Like the only difference <laughs> between them and me is they say our cell and I say my bunk down. Uh-huh. That's some of that cockney flavor getting in there <laughs> me, yeah i'm as devote as a nun and i <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i can't wait for a piece that's just fresh levant um so he's like so anyway like you know if you get step outside what are we gonna do about the little girls jean Valjean's like what little girls and he's like oh when that nun's died there's a bell tolling and he's like <laughs> What? And he's like, oh, you know, the death knell, Monsieur Madeleine, and like that. Basically, over the course of this whole scene, various bells go off, and he'll just like interject with like, oh, and that means that this person's going here. Oh, that means they've called the doctor. Oh, that means they've already declared this. Um, <laughs> just like sprinkled throughout the rest of like what's going on. He's like full of comedy hijinks, and if we get the right person, the comedic timing is going to be great. Can you hear the bells? <laughs> That's a song. a song. That means wedding. <laughs> <laughs> this is is the is a funeral march the opposite of a wedding? No, I guess that's a, a bad thing. I think a funeral march is the opposite of a wedding, isn't it? I guess when it's an unhappy bell. <laughs> yeah, and you're marching towards something. Yeah. Changing someone's life. <laughs> <laughs> or death as the case may be. Um he's like, Oh yeah, that bell's this. Anyway, yeah. They're devils, those cherubs. John was like, who? He's like, they're little cows. You'll be quickly discovered. Believe me, they'll shriek like a man. So, like, you can't go outside. Anyway, like, you can hear the bell. As I said, tolling once every minute. And John's like, oh, I understand. They are schoolgirls. <laughs> and he's thinking to himself, like, oh, that's because that's education taken care of anyway. And Fauchelevan's like, yeah, to be here as a man is to be the plague. They fasten a bell on my leg like I'm a wild animal. But anyway, Jean Valjean's like deep in thought at that point. He's not like really listening. He's like, oh, this convent will be our salvation. Um, yeah, then there's like a lot of back and forth in these ones. Like it's kind of wasted almost that we're not just the the chapter we're not that we're not going on to the third chapter. And um, we definitely mm. aren't going to have time. But like it, I almost feel like we should be just performing that one. <laughs> okay. really, like, enjoy it. <laughs> Well, we'll like warm up our um, performing voices for next time. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be so vocal fry. It'll be great. <laughs> um, yeah, that the, there's a lot of good back and forth with them. Like, oh, the difficulty is to stay here. Fashvan's like, no, the difficulty is to get out. Fashvan's face goes white, and the blood drains from his heart. And he's like, to go out. And he's like, yes, Monsieur Madeleine. 
in order to get back in, you must first get out. And yeah, reiterates, like, you know, they're going to wonder, how did you get here? Whereas for me, because I know you, you fell from heaven. But for the nuns, you have to come through the door. (laughs) The Lord picking him up line. Loved that one. (laughs) It's literally the, like, um, did it hurt? (laughs) What? When you fell from heaven. (laughs) When the good Lord picked you up, took a look at you and played you like that. But then Fauchelevent's like, oh, the good lord, like, he made a mistake. He must have meant to put you in a convent for men. <laughs> They're like, oh, the lord makes mistakes, says Fauchelevent. <laughs> That's some uh, religious text there. Mm. Sure. And then, you know, so the bells are still going around. He's like, oh, that one means that the doctor's coming to, like, formally check the death. And then he's like, a doctor he doesn't believe in anything. He lifts the veil, which I think means like the nun's veils. And then he's like, sometimes he even lifts something else. What? <laughs> yeah, that was, I was like, what? What? <laughs> like the full thing is um, they don't much like that visit. The nuns don't. A doctor, now he doesn't believe in anything. He lifts the veil. Sometimes he even lifts something else. How quickly they've called for the doctor this time. What's going on? And I was just like, go back. Wait, it's like becoming a carry-on film. <laughs> like, is there any other way to take that? Like, there's only two things that can be lifted, right? Like, her veil and then her skirt, right? That's what Surely. I... Yeah, that is what I took it as. But, 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 okay, but then how does that link with the next line which was uh they really called for the doctor quickly this time like after oh yeah and sometimes he lifts their skirts like she's dead (laughs) (laughs) i don't know kink for uh corpses Necrophilia. necrophilia that's the word i was looking for (laughs) i'm pretty sure somewhere i underlined something that there is a kink coming up oh there is great yeah all that to look forward to (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah and then he's like so moving swiftly on from that anyway what's the name of your daughter like literally the next line after like oh they've called you a daughter this half time well your little one's still asleep what's her name Cosette um, he's like oh your little girl is she that is to say you must be her grandfather can't be daddy <laughs> but he's like yeah so don't worry I've been thinking about this um, Missy Madeline and she'll be easy to get out because I have a basket and I'll put her in it and I'll just leave, which is a thing I normally do with the basket on my back. So, like, that's fine. I've sorted it. But we're going to really need to think about what to do with you because I'll get you back in. I'll have to. Bojan <laughs> <laughs> shakes his head and is like, um, as long as no one sees me. Uh, find some way of getting me out like Cosette in a basket covered up. And you're like, ooh, how big and strong do you think Fashion Levant is? Uh, <laughs> well, he does a lot of like the gardening, and when you're a gardener, mm-hmm. says Fashion Levant, you're also a bit of a grave digger. <gasps> so there's going to be a bell that's going to call for him, and he knows the like goings on of the, co- the cloister a lot. Mm. Um, so he was like, oh, this, like, that's sort of what this chapter is setting up with the, like, such and such bell goes. And he's like, oh, that means that this madam is going to go and do this. Um, that it, like, shows he's very well educated on, like, the goings on inside of the place based on, like, how he studied the various spells, mm. which is the only way he could have found that out because men can't go into there except for, like, the doctor, um, mm. I guess. And what's bigger than a basket that might be <laughs> lying around now? Mm. Mm. Death that's very provi- providential. Um, anyway, like, oh, the coachman will be coming. I need to go nail down that coffin. Um, anyway. And then a sunbeam settles on Cosette's little face. She looks of like an angel. Jean Valjean is like gazing at her. He no longer, he was no longer listening to Fauchelevent. <laughs> Not being listened to is no reason to stop talking, says Victor. <laughs> From personal experience. 
never let the lack of an audience silence you. <laughs> Um, and he's untroubled by this and he just keeps rambling on he's like yeah the grave will be dug in the cemetery blah 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 there's a lot of also a lot of logistics in here that's how you know that it's um a good heist that's true as we've become experts in heist film (laughs) oh this really could be shot like a heist film well sorry that we're not giving you every detail I don't have the time (laughs) um Another bell's going, and he's like, "Oh, that's my bell!" And he gets his hand <laughs> with his bell on it, and he buckles it up. And he's like, "Oh, I'm being called for. I'm buckling my armor. Um, you stay here and wait for me, Monsieur Madeline. Something's come up. If you're hungry, there's wine and bread and cheese." <laughs> Your Mikasa is too casa. <laughs> um, so then he leaves to go deal with his business. Jean Valjean watched him hurry across the garden, casting a sidelong glance at his melon beds. <laughs> As the kids say. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, he gets Fauche Levant, so we're following Fauche Levant now. He gets to the door he needs to be going to to see the uh, Witch of the Women. One of the head nuns, I can't find her name on the page. Um, but yeah, he's like, I'm here. She lets him in. Prioress. The prioress sat on the only chair in the parlour waiting for him. Mm. So it was like quite a long chapter or so. So that's why I'm like justifying why I didn't do three. Yeah. On to chapter two, Fauchelevent faces difficulty. So the prioress, she looks very agitated in this solemn moment of crisis, as is typical of certain characters in certain professions, such as uh, religious communities. And, like, usually she's quite a cheerful prioress. The charming and learned Mademoiselle de la Mer, Mère Innocente, something in there might be right. So he becomes quite apprehensive, you know, in the face of her uh, agitated and solemn she's looking right now. Um, and she's got she's fiddling with this rosary through the whole scene. So just assume every now and again it's like, oh, she, <laughs> she uh, touched three beads this time. Um, and so she's looking at her rosary and it's like, oh, there you are. He's like, yes, it's me. She's like, ah, oh, I sent for you. Here I am, Reverend Mother. I have something to say to you. And he's like, yeah, and I also do as well, with a boldness that inwardly frightened him. Oh, my God. <laughs> And the prioress stared at him like, oh, you have something to tell me. A request to make. Well, go on. Simple old Fauchelevent, former copy clerk, belong to that category of peasants who have assuredness. <laughs> A certain canny ignorance of a strength. Oh my god. <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> Through his attentiveness, attentiveness, even, and shrewdness, he'd succeeded in putting flash on all these phantoms, the phantoms being the way that Victor Hugo has in the last couple chapters often referred to these women uh, mm. and people in cloisters and religious uh, convents, etc. Mm. Um, so he's, as we've seen from him paying so much attention to the bells that have been tolling and knowing which one each one means, that attentiveness and shrewdness, that's how he's put flesh to these phantoms. And for him, these dead women live. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I really flip-flopped around on what Hugo was like trying to fucking say and intend in those other chapters, but then I could, then he's like, don't worry, I'll show a bit more of my ass. Yeah, one. yeah. I, I feel like this is maybe like more than the like essay, which I definitely didn't take in as well as I did when we were talking about it, this is probably where I got the, like, idea that he hated mm. convents. Because, <laughs> like, ah, in the actual text of the actual plot, here. Yeah. Uh, so because he, so he's been paying so much attention to this enigmatic cloister that they keep no secrets from him. Mm. Um, the Sphinx babbled all its secrets in his ear. <laughs> knowing all, Fauchelevent concealed all. I put a little asterisk next to that one. (laughs) (laughs) This was his artfulness. Um, And it's also so that, so it kind of describes how he 
almost purposefully like dumbs himself down around mm. the people he's working for and like the women of the cloister so that they'll be so comfortable around him like not that kind of sounds nefarious um i don't think it's with that intention at all it's the like <laughs> i will be able to get the lay of the land and sort of know what's going on mm. and people are more willing to talk to you if you just seem like i'm the jovial thick-headed gardener boy I, I wanted to talk about this earlier, so I'm glad that it actually came up now because I couldn't remember when it was. But something that I pointed out or, or like talked about in my PhD when I was talking about Fauchelevent is that he's also like, he is described as disabled. He has, mm. because of the uh, <laughs> carriage thing, he's, his leg doesn't work properly, so he has a limp. And as well as being like, oh, the simple jovial gardener, like they do think that he's like not mentally all there slash mm. he's an old man slash it's like that ableism slash like kind of um I guess they didn't see it as autism but like he's slow and like uh simple that kind of like language and stuff and I, I thought it was really interesting that um like he uses his disability or like he uses ableism as a way to gain power in mm. the relationship in that when you are dealt this card like when you live in an ableist world he's able to like claw back his um not claw back that's the wrong way of saying it he's able to gain some basically he's just playing the system by like playing up to their beliefs mm. of him so that he's able to cash it in later for like as we're gonna see, like favors and um, and his position here, and like basically an easier life, and like that coming into the like uh, simple cunning and stuff like that, where it's like, how much of it is, how much does Victor Hugo know about like actual peasants versus how many of these people has he met who have done this to him and he hasn't realized yeah. <laughs> where they're like oh poor I'm oh, sir I'm just a poor little peasant girl please <laughs> give me money <laughs> but there's that thing as well like if you read so there's a this is specifically about London but there was a guy called Thomas Mayhew was that his name who basically did this book called London's Poor, Henry Mayhew's London Labour and London Poor. And he basically went around and catalogued everyone in the 19th century. Well, everyone. He went around the London streets and uh, Henry Mayhew was a rich guy and mm -hmm. he went around London streets and basically catalogued everyone's like little cons. And so he would like go and be like, oh, you peasant boy with no leg, what's your con? <laughs> and then they would be like, um, <laughs> I don't have a leg, so I can't work. <laughs> And he'd be like, great, so this is the con that he's running. And it was like, okay. So I feel like similar to that, like um, Victor Hugo sort of cataloging here that this yeah. is this peasant's con kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas like, like, yeah, as you say, like, has have you met someone who's done this? Are you assuming everyone who's like <laughs> poor or disabled or, uh, you know, however it is that he sees people and categorizes them? Um mm as doing this but then also like Fauchelevent is I have read the chapter half of the chapter ahead and you're like that can do it that it like it's yeah. great <laughs> yeah I have I realized I've like not been drawing attention to it and like quoting it but like that's also not like me when it comes to Victor Hugo and calling him out um I think my you know when you're just like you just almost want to like be skimming over certain things um mm. but he often describes like his leg as like gammy um which mm. also will well, obviously that's like a translation thing the particular mm. word but um yeah when he's like exalting his various like virtues and his uh what's the opposite of a virtue uh uh, uh it's not sin no i'm um, sure you said it Ooh, that wasn't my phone going off it was sarah's which she left in here <laughs> so my fault um but, you know, so when he's like, oh, he's got some cunning, that peasant. <laughs> yeah, but, like, he's, he makes sure to sprinkle in all of the, like, limping off with his gammy leg, hobbling mm. away. Oh, yeah, there it is. As fast as his gammy leg would allow. Um, so just rest assured that, um, that it's always sprinkled in there from, from our Hugo. But, yeah, all of these things and, like, him sort of holding his curiosity's tongue inspires trust 
and he can get people to talk to him quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, two of the men who do work closer in the cloister, Priory, um, those words do get used interchangeably as much as I am. I, I feel like I'm using them in a way that sounds like I don't know which one it is, which is also <laughs> true, but also he does use them interchangeably, so it's not just me. He goes also like, um, Priory? <laughs> the porter at the convent. He has a detailed knowledge of the parlour uh, and the gravedigger at the cemetery. So he does know like a lot of what goes on in there from, yeah, this way of like seeming very personable and being so, especially at the time, like, yeah, people are expecting less of him and making those assumptions that he like won't understand what's going on around him. So this all make, but yeah, that sort of personableness means that the community valued him. Oh, here we go. Old, lame, practically blind, probably a little deaf into the deaf into the bargain. I was like, "Where's that line?" It was just about to come. Too many good qualities. It was (laughs) hard to replace him. Uh, I think that is meant to be that Hugo that 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 line is speaking for the priory like that's how they see yeah, him and yeah. why they see him as so such such a catch he is mm, a catch he is in our hearts yeah <laughs> yeah their point of view also which is also an ableist point of view is that they're like you know we're a very secretive little group we don't people want people knowing everything we get up to in here mm. um, and we don't want a man who can like come after us and mm. like hurt little girls and stuff which is fair but don't <laughs> don't put don't assume, don't do the ableism yeah. <laughs> both yeah. these things don't have to both be true yeah with the confidence of one who feels appreciated the good-hearted fellow embarked on a rather long-winded and very exhaustive <laughs> rustic disquisition addressed to the reverend prioress um, and he's just, you know, like, oh, I'm so old oh, I'm so infirm the burden of my years Swing on me, the size of a garden, the nights like last night, for example. Um, and I had to lay down straw matting on the melon beds and because of the moon and uh, all of this. And it's leading up to him being like, so I have a brother. Yeah. And the pirate is like, gives a start. It's like, what? A brother not at all young. And she's like, oh, okay, reassured. Yeah. Um, could he be permitted... This brother, could he come and live with me and help me? He's an excellent gardener. The community would be well served by him, better than by myself. Um, and then if the brother can't be admitted, then, oh, me, Fauchelevan, I'm just so worn out. I'm not up to the job. and oh, A lot of regret. I'm feeling a lot, very regretful. But I have to leave. Oh, and he's my brother, and he's got a little girl, and he'd bring he'd bring her with him, and raise her in godliness in this house, and who knows, could one day become a nun. <laughs> you get a whole free nun out of this deal. Come on, buy one gardener, get nun free. <laughs> Good job, Steve. That was great. That was like, I didn't mean it to come out maybe as smart as that. that was <laughs> uh, we do surprise ourselves sometimes. <laughs> um, so this is the request that he's making of her. When he's finished speaking, the prioress is like, she pauses running the rosary that let us not forget she's been running between her fingers. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could you, between now and this <laughs> evening, procure a strong iron bar? <laughs> like, sure, to serve as a lever. It's like, yeah. So like, actually, maybe they're kind of perfect for each other. Like, yeah. this bro friendship of just like, oh, maybe this is like you and me talking to each other. I'm like, Nemo <laughs> will know the context of what I'm saying. Anyway, here's this random statement attached to thing, and you just have to whack it out and then you do i feel like it really is that like oceans 11 thing as well where like they just talk in code and they're like so i need a long metal bar just like out of nowhere and be like ah i see the plan is set yes let's go <laughs> yeah you're literally there 
He's like, well, yeah, of course I can do that. <laughs> You've not said anything on what I asked, but yeah, I guess it's, <laughs> we have an understanding. Yeah. Well, like, like, so Danny Ocean shows up to like one of the people and it's just like, remember that heist we did back then and I let you borrow my like golden banana? Yeah, this is payback for that. <laughs> <laughs> and without another word... Danny Ocean yeah. and the Prioress rose and went into the adjoining room, which was the chapter room and where the vocal mothers were probably assembled. Posh Levant was left on his own. And the next, the coming chapter is quite long, but it's mm. fun. And we might, maybe like the ASMR episode, we'll give up immediately. <laughs> no, I'm going to force you. Because I, yeah. I end up doing a lot of, when the dialogue's just good and snappy, I'm like, I have to do, I have to read it. Because I know I've been doing that a lot when it comes up. I hope that it is probably not very obvious when the speaker's changed. I don't do voices <laughs> I could, but I don't. It's, I mean, it's obvious to me. So yeah, you've that read going. the book like ten times. <laughs> <laughs> we'll workshop something for the next one. But yeah, it's exciting. We've got heists, dialogue, more panto vibes to come. Mm-hmm. But before that, my Second reminder for ourselves, because mm. uh, we did forget, is to talk about the pro- the podcast origin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! I like I, that was a good five seconds of what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> no, same. I was like podcast origin. Okay. I mean, so this has been Brent Barricade's Alamo's podcast, which started off as being in, uh, we went to see a show and then uh, at the Amida in London, which is a theatre, and we only went to go and see it because we love Ben Wish. <laughs> that was our, like, little phase. And me and Nemo, like, I think by that point we had known each other a couple years, but we didn't really, like... It was, you know, those friendships where you're like, we're friends, but we don't really interact often unless it's like Comic-Con. I would say we were more like Tumblr mutuals rather than friends, which is close to friendship, right? Like, is it that era? Yeah. We were Tumblr mutuals for a while. <laughs> yeah. And like, we, yeah, we'd see each other at con and like get really excited and chat and be like, Ooh, we should do this fic. And then Emo would and then I wouldn't. <laughs> but we would, without fail see each other like once a year to be like hey this new Ben Mitchell thing's happening and I guess that that's where we're both at emotionally and wherever whatever age we were living at emotionally as well (laughs) and obviously the like um Skyfall was that the first one with Q in it yeah that was like fresh and like yeah it was all very tasty and uh (laughs) And so we had some time before the show. And, like, there's nowhere really uh, near the Almeida to, like, go and sit if you're poor. <laughs> so we went and we walked around and found a um, a church garden. And I was like, so I like Les Mis. <laughs> and I'm thinking of doing a podcast. And Stevie was like, I don't have any idea <laughs> I, or knowledge. All, all I knew of it was... Like, what I mostly knew of it was because we'd been mutuals at that point for a couple of years, what you would reblog of art of. So I knew that you had an old man ship and it was from Lewis. <laughs> and then I was like, yes, excellent, perfect. So it was providence. It was God ordained <laughs> that we would be the two who like are on this podcast now. <laughs> what was like... Because we remembered this at the end, like, after we finished recording the last episode. I don't even know how we got onto it. But it was like we were, like, retelling the story to each other. And then we were like, oh, my God, we were in a decrepit little church garden. But it was also, like, at that point, we'd seen actually a fair few Ben Whishaw things (laughs) together. And that was... The last one we ever saw together. It was. I think because we were fan casting Ben Wish, like it, we were like, we have to fan cast Ben Wishaw as something because that's where it started. Like, <gasps> that's that's what it where was. it started. Oh, Marius. Or, then we looked up at his, his age and we were like, what? Yeah. They keep casting He's only with- 10 years younger than Daniel Craig. What? <laughs> All those daddy kink fix. <laughs> Throw them in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Every fic where I was like, oh, it seems a bit creepy that James Bond is getting with this dude who's clearly 50 years younger than him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is how we got into it. But yeah, the the thing we saw, we I guess we won't put it on blast. I can't even remember the name of it. We were both like, mm. Yeah, was, <laughs> and then that ruined <laughs> friendship ended with Ben Whishaw. <laughs> but the new flame of our eternal friendship, flame is <laughs> light. And it was already in your heart, but then you shared it with me. Um, yeah. And now, here we are. <laughs> I mean, somebody has to be it, like for for Le- so just the personification of Les Mis. It's not Marius. It's not Valjean or anything like that. It's just the personification of Les Mis is a bl- uh, brown-haired twink because that is the only thing that we go and pay money to see. It's like Sam Stockman and Ben Whishaw. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, God, our friendship was very strange. I feel like we're talking about this as if we're like, oh, and what you don't know is it's like the four-year anniversary of that time. We're just like nostalgic for it right now. <laughs> but yeah, like we really didn't even like message much. I love friendships like that. I also love our friendship now where we message every day. Um, but like we really didn't, like when we did interact, it was like full 100% enthusiasm. Like, I'm into this. You should go read this. Get into this fandom with me. Mm. But like in tiny bursts of like, let's, we're both poor and working so many jobs. Let's just drop 50 quid on this terrible thing. Has it been a cheaper hobby? I don't know if it has in the long run. Well, it's uh, sustained us through lockdown. It's true. <laughs> I, like, have a weird relationship with a Miz still where I'm like, am I a fan? <laughs> Not in the way that I think of Les Mis fans. Considering you've been a fan or, like, into it. Like, it feels like being into it is different from being a fan. Um, yeah. Your relationship with Les Mis has been a long one, but, yeah, I don't... <laughs> even the way I think... I feel like we're on a similar page with it where we're like, oh, God, Hugo. <laughs> I feel like I'm in, like, um uh not friends of benefits more than friends of benefits but less than marriage like <laughs> kind of a civil union <laughs> with lemurs where i'm like we're in this like I- i'm in this consensually and you know like i get a lot out of it but i wouldn't say that i love i don't know mutually <laughs> beneficial perhaps yeah my favorite that like um people often ask me what my favorite musical is or what my favorite like show is. And like, I always have to start by being like, it's not Les Mis. <laughs> and they're like, I didn't say it was. And I was like, I know, but I feel like I'm contractually obliged to say that it's not Les Mis. <laughs> if, yeah. Uh, we have a working relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I have with Les Mis. It was like, okay, there's been like a lot of moments for me on this journey of Les Mis. Because I did start from nothing and I was like, I'm never going to like it, but I'm going to like have this very, you know, I'm a secondary researcher for the for like the first however many years of this, mm. very professional relationship. Well, there'll be nothing more than professionalism here. Because um, <laughs> when we were like watching the BBC Lee Miz episodes and I was like, oh, I can't finish this episode, Sarah. I'll have to leave the room. You have to finish it without me because it's going to be a spoiler for what I'm about to read in the book. <laughs> care about that and then like <laughs> I can just whenever a Miz reference happens in anything and like I don't know I don't think we've spoken about it yet don't think we have time to get into it now but like there's a Persona game that has a lot of Les Mis in it that I was just like oh yeah and that's this and that represents this and this is why they did this and he's doing this here for this and I was just like I know too much but yeah. you know, you're like but I don't want to be like, wow, I love it. Maybe it's just actually the thing about me, I don't like to admit it. <laughs> I'm so shameless about everything else, but I'm like, no, Lemis, I don't like you. I don't have dokey dokies. <laughs> yeah, as you said that, I was like, oh, we are definitely, like, as much as I object to being like, and I hate Lemis, I'm definitely in the relationship where it's like, but I do love it so much. <laughs> I love what it's brought me and I love doing I love doing this podcast and reading this mm-hmm. stupid thing. Even though every week I'm like, oh god, okay, here we go. Well, 
Um, this has been <laughs> Bread and Barricades, our love affair. <laughs> um, produced by Nini Mumpkin and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. If you, like us, have a love-hate relationship with this novel, you can send us a comment, question, or quibble to our email address, lamespodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S-podcast at gmail.com, or to our Twitter at lamespodcast, or to our Tumblr at Barricades. Or you can leave us a review, and if you do, please send us it in a, screen- a screenshot to our email, because it doesn't notify us. And I'm too lazy to check every country's iTunes. <laughs> um, our audio director is Jade, who you can find on her website, jadewasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. And if you would like to and you're able to, please donate to our coffee or our Patreon. It would help with our listing fees and stuff like that. And I think that's everything. I think I figured it out. I feel like I got through them very quickly. You did. Figured one out. Very good. <laughs> I think that it's strangers to colleagues to enemies to it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of this podcast. <laughs> E-rated 20k. No, it's more than that. It's like 200k. It's so many k.